Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Hello, I'm Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, here with Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. We're the co-founders of My Divorce Solution, a company whose mission is to provide a rock-solid financial premise for anyone thinking about or going through a divorce. With the development and delivery of the MDS Financial Portrait, individuals and couples can now make financially smart decisions and have clarity as to the short and long-term impact of those decisions during the divorce experience. Each podcast, we sit down with professionals who provide insight and frank discussion about real people, real situations, and real divorce. Today, we welcome Sheila Tucker. Sheila is a licensed associate marriage and family therapist and founder of Heart, Mind, and Soul Counseling in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. <laughs> Sheila helps couples identify their unhelpful relationship patterns and create new ways of understanding themselves and one another. She also works with individuals who feel down and held back by anxiety. Sheila, thank you for being here today to talk about stories we tell ourselves. I think it's very interesting. Sheila. So um, we, we put down a couple lines, I guess, and I find it very interesting. The stories we tell ourselves about grieving the loss of relationship, the stories we tell ourselves about money, the story we tell ourselves about, so your spouse doesn't want to go to therapy. And this is my favorite one, even though I don't know what you're going to say. The space between what someone says and our response. That's so interesting. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So typically when we have conversations with people and the stories that we tell ourselves, right? So we'll, we'll have a conversation. You may say something to me and, and while it's coming to me, while the information is being received by me, I'm typically making something up about what you're saying. Um, and that could be, you know, a story that I've learned from, you know, my family of origin or what, what have you that comes up. And so that, that space between allows us to take a pause, right, from the time that you're saying something and the time that I'm responding to whatever you're saying. And so okay. a lot of times couples get caught in these patterns of, you know, some, one person says something and the other one reacts and the distance between those is pretty immediate. Irrespective of the words being said, I guess it could be body language, tone, or just history of a relationship. Definitely, definitely. So what's the first step in recognizing that? It's noticing those knee-jerk responses, right? So being able to pick out those patterns of behavior that we have or the conversations. Most couples are able to say, oh yeah, like we do that a lot. Or this conversation comes up a lot. Or this situation comes up a lot. So being able to notice when there's a, a situation or a conversation or something that's coming up over and over and over and over again. Like you feel like we have been around this mountain before, here we are again. <laughs> and so it's by yeah. noticing that part of 
that then we're able to kind of look at that and go, okay, well, what could I do differently next time? So I'm not completing this cycle one more time. Right. And so is, it the same, is it the same conversation coming up that you're noticing because issues have not been resolved? Or is it the same thing because you're saying there's no space in between the comment and the reaction so that it's never resolved there and so it just gets bypassed and then eventually comes around again as another question or another circumstance for them? Yeah, so it's sort of a little bit of both, right? So it's the... And it's usually the content can change, but it's the undertone of things that, that remain the same. So it's the same conversation about maybe not being there for me or I, I don't feel like I'm being heard or understood. And so it's the same conversation around that that keeps happening that could look like you didn't take out the trash. You know, I mean, there's I joke with my couples, there's, there's the, the whole trash phenomenon of somebody can say, look, the trash is full. And that can mean to one person, oh, I need to take out the trash. And to somebody else, it's a statement of the trash is full. And so right. it depends. So there's, there's kind of that part of it where what's really going on sometimes gets masked. And so it, it's never getting resolved. And so we keep going around in those cycles again the circles of things and then the other part is that we're not slowing down enough to see that okay the real story isn't about the trash going out and whether you heard it from me to mean take out the trash versus yeah it's full you know there's a there's yeah. a better story that's underneath there and say so by taking that space and by slowing down we're able to see oh oh this is what you really meant by that instead of assuming it allows for the opportunity to be curious. Right. Wow. I know that with my first marriage, you know, we never had a trust and there was never a comfort or trust. And I felt like everything was coming from an accusatory positioning. Mm -hmm. So if he would have said to me, the trash needs to go out, it would have been like, seriously, this is another thing you're complaining to me about. Yeah. Fast forward now with my new marriage, if he said the trash wasn't out, well, he probably wouldn't do it because it would have been out. But anyway, it's a whole different relationship. But in this scenario, if he said the trash was full, I would just think it as I, I'm so I feel so safe with him and so comfortable with him. Our communication is so different that I just take it as, oh, the trash is full. You know, I don't have any story to it. So I think a lot has to do with how you're what you're saying is it's about the underlying story of what's going on in your scenario. How do you trust that even because it took me a long time to trust that in my new relationship that everything was coming from a good place, not from a accusatory or pick on you or just another thing that there's a problem with. How do you, how do how do you teach people to make that transition of that trust? So it's in the slowing down. So it's, you know, when people come in, we'll go over a scenario of what's going on. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll slow it down. Okay. So this is what happened. What did, what did it mean for you when that was said? What, what was, this is where the story, what was the story you told yourself about that? What's coming, what's coming up for you? What's the feeling that gets evoked? You know, what, what expression are you seeing on your partner's face or what tone are you hearing from his or her voice that's causing you to react or respond the way that you are? And usually what will happen is they'll, you know, something will come up along the lines of, you know, the seriously, like one more thing, I've got to list this 
10 miles long and you know, why can't you do it? You know, why is this coming up? But they'll, they'll get down to you. Once we can get down to it, it's, it's uh, usually something along the lines of, I feel like I'm the one doing all of the work. You're not doing it. I feel like you're complaining or I'm just not doing enough. I hear a lot about not enoughness. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the other person, the partner will hear that part of the conversation that's never been said before, because usually it just erupts into this explosion of, of, well, you should do it or somebody storms off. There's no conversation. Um, and so the other person gets to hear, oh, oh, that's not what I meant. This is what mm -hmm. I meant when I said that, you know, I was just making a statement. Are, you know, I, I didn't realize that my face looked this way or that my body looked this way. And so there's a little bit of recognition and it takes time. I mean, it's, it's not ever a one and done. And it, it takes, a, you know, time and depending on how long the couple has been together, it can take a little bit longer. Right. So transition that to a couple going through a divorce, maybe with a family, maybe the kids are older, maybe they're younger, whatever. But in a crisis situation, they're not really focused on repairing the relationship, but they do have to uh, retain the family unit as much as possible. So if, if you were speaking to a mom or dad going through a divorce, really wanting to you know, be the best parent or try to have the best relationship, can, it, can you reframe that on, the one side to just not take things personally or respond in a different way to kind of minimize the uh, discourse, I guess, between the two people. Yeah. And it comes down to an understanding. I, the way I approach things is through an attachment lens. So I typically see people wanting to connect and wanting to be, near one another in, in some way, shape or form. And so when, usually when someone lashes out, it's because of a, a fear, like the not being seen, not being enough and feeling as though their partner maybe is turning away from them instead of turning towards them. Mm -hmm. And and so it, there's, with that scenario, there's a lot of de-escalation that needs to, to be involved in order to have both partners to be able to tolerate a situation that's that's coming up otherwise it's just going to continue to be explosive each time so it does have to do a little bit with having one partner not take things so personally having the other partner to be able to kind of simmer down as well especially when you have two explosive partners um, which by the way is a lot more fun than the two that withdraw just say it <laughs> but um <laughs> But to be able to, you know, bring everybody down a couple of notches so that it's, you know, this isn't an attack. This is how this is working out. And working with tone of voice has been a, a, a big game changer for a lot of people to be able to say, usually, usually it's an after, you know, they, they say something and it comes out really heated and then they have to step it back and they say something to the effect of, okay, I know that came out heated, but I was caught up in the moment and this is what happened. But it, you know, again, it takes a few steps to get people back to that point, to get them to pull back and to um, have that tolerance of being able to hear something 
and to not go off the handle because they've taken everything so personally. And that takes some, some really some self-reflection. Like what, again, what are the stories you're telling yourself when you hear your partner say this to you? Like right. what, what are the thoughts that are coming up for you when this is said? Like, and how much of that do you believe is true about yourself? And so when you say, and I, I think I have a hard time with this, maybe even myself sometimes, is what, when you say don't take this personally, and if we use Karen's example of a, a couple going through a divorce and they're trying to preserve the family, but husband or wife shows up, whoever it is, it doesn't matter, and says, you know, the kids are late for school, they're not doing their homework, and the teacher's calling, the homework isn't done, and you know, I think because they didn't sleep well last night and maybe because they had McDonald's for dinner again. And you signed them up for too many activities. Right. So immediately the one spouse is saying, okay, I'm taking this personally. How do you not, what, what is a way for someone not to take that personally if you were the one feeding them the McDonald's, involving them in too many activities and letting them stay up way past their bedtime? Because that's the two spouses that are taking out on each other. How do you not take that personally if that's you? Yeah, well, and you, I mean, the long and short of it is, is you're going to kind of take it personally, right? And, and it's how you react to taking it personally. Okay, and, that's good. And, mm-hmm. and so it's what, so yeah, guilty, you know, yeah, I was busy. I fed the kids McDonald's. They stayed up too late. I'm tired. I had to pick my battles. That was not the one I was going to pick. This is what, right? But a lot of times too, parents are like, oh, I'm just a crappy parent. And like they don't cut themselves a break to say not taking that battle on and sorry for your luck. This is what you have to deal with today. Um, Of course, in better words, but, you know, to be able to, to really, again, what is, what am I telling myself about what my, my spouse is saying to me? Yeah. He's lobbying or she's lobbying some stuff at me you know, basically saying I'm not a good parent, maybe that's what I'm telling myself, that I'm not a good parent. That's a great analogy, Sheila, because I can so, you know, I have to put everything into perspective to understand something. So if you're listening and you're like me, um, that's exactly the story that I think in particular, I'm going to say woman because I'm a woman and we always say that we all harbor guilt and feel guilty about not doing something 100%, right? But so the example here is if, if you are being, if the statement is being made, you took your kids to McDonald's, you have them in two activities and they stayed up too late. Your personal story can be, you know what? Let me think about that. Yep, I did do that. I worked hard today. I didn't feel like cooking. They got McDonald's and guess what? They, I fell asleep before they did. It is what it is. Or you're sitting there, you're telling yourself, he's right or she's right. I'm a terrible parent. I shouldn't be feeding my kids like that. They should be going to bed earlier. I'm a, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's the story you're talking about. What do you say to yourself when this is happening? Exactly. And it's a, a lot of times, and especially for women and, and some men as well, is it, there's this internalization of it becomes, it, it quickly can go from I'm a bad parent to I'm a bad person. Yeah. And so there's no longer any guilt in the room. It's just now turned to shame. Right. You know, I would like to shift the gears a little bit there about money and relationship with money, because when we do people, when we do couples um, financial portraits, it's always with an explanation, excuse me, explanation from whichever side was the stay at home parent 
or it didn't involve themselves in the budgeting or the billing or what have you. Their story always is, Karen, and correct me if I'm wrong, is always, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so sorry, let me apologize, I don't know where the statements are, I never looked at a statement. <laughs> yeah, I'm stupid, I'm not this. They're... So I'm, I'm listening to some clients right now, and now I wanna turn around and say to them, change your story. And we do say it differently. You know, of course, some are not stupid. Um, but it's just not, not anything you partaked in in that time. And now you're going to change the way you are. There's, there's no other reason for it than that. That was your role at the time, whatever it was you're doing, but people have terrible relationships with money and coming through divorce. I feel like it's one of the biggest anxieties that they're faced with, um, dealing with how am I going to do this for the rest of my life without my spouse. Right. And we even deal with the spouses who are the breadwinner and they take a position that the other party truly is not adept at managing their finances because they've been, they've stayed at home and, you know, they take this air of, well, you're going to have to help her or she's going to have to figure this out when the roles were clearly defined. So that doesn't mean she's not adept. It just means that wasn't her role. So she's got to flex those muscles again. And I think sometimes neither party will realize that until we get a little bit further into you know discussing their finances sure and it's such a raw and vulnerable time right if you have your spouse the person that was supposed to have your back at some point in time and supposed to to be your person you know your attachment person mm -hmm. right is telling you that you don't have the skills to to balance your own checkbook or to deal with money in any capacity, you start to believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really true. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, someone learning all of a sudden how to cook and take care of the kids and keep up with the schedules and all of that, it doesn't mean that they're not adept. It's just something that they haven't done for a long time and you've got to, you know, again, flex your muscles. Yeah, it's a learning curve, right? So there's, there's, I, I joke all the time, I'm not a fan of the learning curve, but it is there, you know, for mm -hmm. a reason. It's, it's to, you start at the bottom and you work your way up and you, you figure it out along the way. And that means also cutting yourself some breaks mm -hmm. because we're, we're not going to usually do it right the first time out of the gate. We're going to stumble a little bit, try to get our footing you know, maybe make a mistake or two, which is great because then you just learn something else and then you, you can do it differently the next time. It's information. Every mistake or failure is, is just information for doing it a little bit differently and finessing it the next time around. Yeah. What is the comfort level that you think people feel? What do you find their comfort is, is when they always have that story that they keep in their mind that it's that I'm a failure or I can't do this or why do people hold on to that? I think for a couple of reasons, I, we learn these stories when we're younger. So when we're going through, you know, life as, as little kids, we somehow pick these stories up and they may and usually aren't overt messages given by parents, right? They're just something that happened this one little time and somehow we've eternalized it to mean that, you know, we're not good enough are, and that's the one I hear the most. So that's the one I usually stick with. So there's that. And then it becomes 
a little bit habitual. So we start to look through the lens of not being good enough. And so we find what we're looking for. It's like shining a flashlight on something. You're going to only see what's in that little spot. Mm. So we just start to keep looking for those times and looking for occasions where, see, that's right, I'm not good enough. That's another, there's another thing where I'm not enough. That's another. Couples do this in their relationships too. That's another. There's another reason he doesn't have my back or there's another reason she's not there for me. And so we just start playing into it. And even though it doesn't feel good, we know it. And so there's something comfortable about the uncomfortableness of it. We know, we know how the equation begins and ends. Then so we know what we're going to find. But if we change it, then we're kind of rocking the boat a little bit, right? And now all of a sudden it's a unknown and it becomes a little bit of a what if. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's very it interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what about um, if you have a perspective or just very reticent to be accountable for all of the information that you may or may not know? And this definitely happens when it comes to money. We have a lot of clients who don't really want to know, like they want to turn their head. They don't want to know about their debt or they don't want to <laughs> you know, balance a checkbook. They don't want to do that. And it has nothing to do, I don't think it has anything to do with not being good enough. I think it's just, I don't want to do it. So, you know, I would think that would be a money story too. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was just taking um, a class recently um, with a woman by the name of Megan Hale. And she has a great way of, um, putting your kind of your money story together with your attachment style, right? So, which is right up my alley. And so with the people that tend to ostrich, right? Put your head in the sand, don't want to look at it. And they're like, mm, if I have a check. There's enough in the account. Um, you know, kind of those people are just don't want to touch it. Don't want to do it because they're, you know, afraid of it. Maybe they just don't want to do it seem to also be similar people that are avoided in other areas of their lives as well. So those might be the people that are going to kind of walk away from maybe conflict or just, just other similar issues. Now the people that are the ones that are checking their, their bank accounts like two, three, four or five times a day and are always like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Tend to be a little bit more anxiously attached to their accounts and probably a little bit more anxiously attached in their relationship. So it may look like if a partner, if they feel like a partner is ignoring them, they're going to come at the partner um, and they're going to do whatever they can to get some kind of attention. Whereas the avoidant partner is going to see this person coming and is going to be like, Oh no. And is going to start, you know, moving in the other direction and do more of a withdraw away. So that's what it reminds me of too with, with bank accounts and with money in general, you know, you have kind of a couple of different camps of checking the accounts all the time are the people that just don't, it's just too much. If they become flooded and overwhelmed and, and just, I can't handle it. Yeah. That's very interesting that it's so consistent across the board. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have plenty of clients who like, 
I've said this a couple of times, but just need to flex their muscles. If you just give them one step, then they'll take the next step and then they'll take the next step and they look back and they see how far they've come and all of a sudden they're empowered and they're free and they're, you know, in really enjoying their new independent life. So maybe that's just, you know, the universe coming together for them. Yeah. And, and so for, you know, for the people that typically put their head in the sand, you know, with money, one of the steps is to start to start to make friends with it, start to make friends with your account, make friends with the money. And that what that looks like is check into your account, do it once a week, just check in, see what's there. You don't have to do anything about it, but just check in and see what's going on so that you get used to doing it. So you become a little bit more accustomed to do it at, or almost a little bit desensitized, you know, to, to thinking that it's scary. Mm-hmm. And then for the over checkers to kind of cut it down, maybe you only look at it three times today instead of 15, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so to dial it back just a little bit. Yeah. I like that a lot. I That's do too. Idea. And I also think it's great to, um, you know, turn down or, that inner story you're telling yourself, you know, mm-hmm. I never looked at it like that. I mean, I, I obviously have done it to myself and I probably will continue to be hard on myself. That's just who we are, who I am basically. Um, but it's nice if you can just, it's, I hate to say this, but I always remember from when I was a kid that you, you remember the fire drill, stop, drop and roll. Oh yeah. I have that dialogue that I keep in my head about things and I feel like I'm getting a little bit, I'm like, stop, pause, slow down think about it and then go. And I think of stop, drop and roll. I don't know why. It's probably one of the things that just stuck in my head. (laughs) So I think it's really interesting now to stop um, when you're telling yourself these things. I don't know how to budget or I don't know how to communicate or I'm I'm being a terrible mother or terrible spouse and say, why are you saying that to yourself? And then stop and do something. So check in with your bank account once a week. You're not, or try to live on a budget for a day, you know, or just try taking these little steps. I think it's such an important um, lesson for all of us to listen to. Um, I just never looked at it that way. It's just another way to look at it. And I also love your flashlight, that you're shining a flashlight on one thing. You can't see the whole picture. So, you know, even with us, when we hand you your financial portrait, you know, pick one of those assets or one of those debts and just check in with that one, you know, not the whole thing, you know? So I, I, I love this. I love this whole dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And and then for me, like if, even if that's too much, like even if picking that one spot is too much, like narrow it down a little bit more, maybe that means the step was too big. Right. So that's, it doesn't mean that you failed or it doesn't mean that you've done something. You can't do it. Or the learning curve is too steep. That just means maybe you took too big of a step and we need to dial it back a little bit and find a step that's a little bit more appropriate. You'll get there in all due time. You just might need to take a few more steps than you maybe thought that you would. Right. And I guess the important piece is taking the step, whether you're, like you said, checking the bank account 10 times or not checking it at all. You can just choose to, like you said at the beginning of the conversation, just pulling it down. So just going the other way, just a tiny bit and seeing how that feels and then continuing that. That's really, really good. Because in crisis modes, you know, you've got the crisis to deal with. So to do anything beyond that seems unattainable. But 
you can do one thing. Totally, totally. And there's also the case too of, there's the overwhelm of it all, but yeah, the, the being able to narrow down, to just do the one thing, to be able to take action. And a lot of times, and I'm sure we both have probably heard it a time or two, people will kind of hem and haw a little bit right onto taking action. Like they're, they're a little bit resistant maybe to taking some action. And so one thing I try to impart in, in my clients is, is you're not always going to feel like it, right? You're not always going to feel like doing that next step or that next thing, even if it's a tiny, tiny step. And that's okay. Um, part of gaining the confidence and part of just part of feeling better about what's going on is to take some kind of a step forward. Mm-hmm. Itty bitty, tiny, tiny. It can be you get out your computer, you open it up. That's all you do. And then the next day, maybe you get out your computer, open it up, turn it on, go to the bank's website. That's all you do. Mm-hmm. And so it's just taking a step, any step in, in the direction of your goal that's going to help you to increase confidence. It's those little baby wins that'll help that. increase your increase confidence. It's kind of me with working out. My daughter said, just try 10 minutes a day. You don't need the hour. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think, okay, I could do 10 minutes, maybe not an hour, but I could do 10 minutes. And, you know, you try to do, and then 10 minutes leads to 20 minutes, and then 20 minutes gets you to your hour. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then yeah. I have to start over again. <laughs> yeah, that's really good because we constantly find that. You know, there's only so much we can do. And then, of course, we have to send our clients to you and other professionals. But um, when they keep coming back and Karen hit it earlier, you know, the, the turn away, I just don't want to do it. We know that they can do it. We know that they should do it. They know they have to, but they don't want to do it. Um, you know, hearing that same story when they keep coming back to you, and I, I assume people stay with you for a long time. How, how do you, so if they come back, let's say every week for two months, and they're telling you that same story. They only got the computer out. That was it. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and there are some clients that want to stay in the same story because it's comfortable, right? It's comfortable being there. Like they know they can do that part. It's uncomfortable. Right. Doing the next step of turning it on. It's uncomfortable doing anything else that stretches. And so at that point, it's helping them to find smaller wins, maybe in other areas of their life that they can work with. Mm-hmm. So they parallel it over to, oh. to the goal that they really want to do. Because if we can just get some kind of forward motion somewhere, mm-hmm. we can do that. At the same time, I can't make anybody do anything. So they've got to have it within themselves to want to make some changes and to want to do the thing. And if they don't want to, then they don't want to. But I yeah. like that though, Sheila. So if they can't, they can only get their computer and they can only open it up, but they can't get to the website. It's just too fearful and they just don't want to do it. Pick something else in your life mm-hmm. and try to do the same exercise, but do it in a different way. Yeah. to start the pattern of knowing that it's okay 
to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or find, that's very interesting that we're saying that, or find a way that you can deal with it that's comfortable. So, you know, you're saying, get out your computer and turn it on. Well, what if they just want to touch the paper or they want to get the bank statement? So yeah. when I'm, I'm tasked with um, meeting clients and helping them with their budgets once they become clients. So that's my first conversation with them. I like to hear how they think about money. I like to hear how they process money. And I like to hear what's comfortable for them. And some people are full on technology. And some people, to your point, the thought of a computer is a, immediately no but if I can say well you know how about just get envelopes and get your little checkbook it, you get to the same result and to your point they can get they can still get to the same end goal I love that you said that because that's so true we all process information and are more comfortable just in different environments even with myself and Catherine we're very different in how we process information and so as partners, we have to acclimate the way we communicate with each other so that it's comfortable for both of us. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's finding what works, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. Exactly. Because I guess that's our story too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, you know, we hear a lot when we're going through it and the, the story that people tell themselves that they don't deserve to be happy. You know, there's no reason they want a divorce. There's nothing wrong with their spouse as a whole, um, but the spouse just isn't, isn't for them anymore, you know, and that's another story. Like, when do you start telling yourself that you have a right to get a divorce and you have a right to be happy if you're not happy? Um, of course, I believe in marriage and I love marriage, but I, I don't believe in people living unhappily. But again, it's that comfort zone. They know that's the known. They can deal with the known. They've been doing it for 20 years. They might as well just do it for another 20. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same exercise, I would assume. Talking to yourself differently. Yeah, it's finding out. And, and one more thing about what we were just talking about, give yourself rewards. So when you're taking these small baby steps, make sure you reward yourself. Mm. So it could be a chai latte. It could be, you know, a nap, it, whatever, you know, but just make sure you give yourself a little bit of reward every time you meet that milestone. So, so if you gather your statements together, you get a reward for that. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Maybe so that way it becomes out re a reward. Mm -hmm. It Be becomes care. something you want to do. You know, it, it makes it a little bit better Absolutely. able to handle. Yeah. yeah. It should be rewarded. It's mm -hmm. a big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the non-lovable part, I have found sometimes with clients that it comes back to, for some people, a sense of failure because their relationship isn't working out. And so they immediately will spiral into the, well, I just don't deserve to, to have love or, or it's the staying in the relationship because of the what ifs, the, the big what ifs. Well, what if we get divorced? Then what am I like, 
the money issues, the kids, the house, the, all of the things, like having to untangle all of the things. And it's just easier to stay in this marriage. Like I'll just stuff everything down and just pretend like I'm okay. And I'll act like I'm the good wife or the good husband just for the sake of the family. And we'll just go about our business this way. I don't, I, I don't need to feel anything. It's fine. And and if I do something, it's going to make my partner upset. And I would, I would rather, I would rather be the one that lives in resentment than worrying about what this other person is feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely see that in here um, with yeah. people that are doing, that are doing that. And it's, again, it's another story. So it's untangling, you know, what, what's, what's the fear? Like what's, what's under underneath all of what's going on there because there's something there's something going on with the what ifs yeah it's going Mm -hmm. to look like for you if you split up like what is that story that it's Mm -hmm. you know that you're telling yourself yeah so it sounds like you break it down for them and then help them build a new story or a different story um based on their self-worth or empowerment or whatever it may be. Kind of like what we do in a way, Karen, but only financially speaking, not, not what you do, but you know, we don't know if you need to get a job or not get a job. If you haven't been working, we don't know. We don't know if you can keep the house that you want to keep or not keep. Um, And we don't know if a pension plan is marital or not marital till we gather the information that we need to gather. And so when we're gathering that and then we get to review this information with our clients, you can see that their, you know, their, their demeanor changes. Like that inheritance that my mom gave me, I don't have to give it to him. I didn't, you know, commingle it. I'll get to keep it myself. Okay, maybe, maybe I will be okay. Or, you know, that pension is marital. Oh my gosh, now I get to see what I live on. You know, you could see their demeanor changing by just gaining a little bit of knowledge. You know, their story in their own head is saying, maybe I can do this. Or maybe it's saying the other thing. What do you mean I'm going to have to go get a job? I, I don't want to get a job. I'd just rather live like this. Or, you know what? Maybe we have more money than I thought. And he was better to me than I thought he was. Or she was better to me than I thought she was. And maybe I just need to change the way I think about money. You know, you can really see the transformation with somebody. The power that they feel just by gaining some of this knowledge that they just never really had before. Right. Yeah, it's it's seeking the facts, right? I mean, when we're in a, a, a state of high stress and overwhelm, our our body kicks into this find the worst case scenario. That's just the way we're geared. That's the way we're all geared. Like there's no nobody's extra special because you think that way. Like we all do it. <laughs> and so thank you, caveman. Um but, you know, we're we're preparing ourselves to be face to face with like the, the tiger or the bear, the whatever. And so we're going to look for that worst case scenario because we have to protect ourselves and we have to, you know, thwart off danger. And so when we're in that stress relief, we're going to definitely like make things, we're going to look for the worst case scenario and what's going on. And so it's, being able to take a step back, right? And look at the facts, like what are the actual facts? Because we can get all wrapped up in the what ifs over here. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What's the actual facts? Which is what you do as you 
are like, here are all the facts. Mm -hmm. This is what we know. Mm -hmm. So and now we can say, make some oh, decisions. What about my friends? My friends said this, or my husband is saying this, or, but when you have facts right in front of you, they are what they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes easier to make decisions because now we have the facts of what's going on. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on thoughts because all of that stuff changes and moves around and you know, you can be having a, a, a thought about a donut and run into the, you know, wall walking through the doorway. And now you're having a whole, you know, a whole different thought, right? A whole different feelings. You know, they change just that quick. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's, so yeah, so having those facts, you're able to go, okay, that doesn't change. You know, you run into the doorframe, it's still the same facts. It doesn't, that part doesn't change. And so right. it does make it easier to make a decision. I mean, there's still the feelings and there's still the thoughts and things that come up. And it's also easier to make a decision based on what the actual facts. You know, that's, are. that's really another funny thing, okay. Sheila, because Karen and I, and Karen's going to laugh. We get a little frustrated because we, we can't imagine why somebody would ever go to an attorney consult without having our financial portrait in their hands because they are the facts. And that's what the premise of your divorce is going to be, financially speaking. So when you have somebody that doesn't have that and they go into their attorney consult, the, the question from the attorney is, what do you want? You know, so if this person is only thinking, I want to beat him or her up emotionally because they cheated on me or they did this to me or they did that. And they have none of the facts. So the attorney saying, OK, well, that's what we'll do. And the, and the fight ensues. Right. And meanwhile, they end up fighting for something that they don't even have when we get the data out there. So we're like. They should, why didn't they come here first to get to get the real opinion? Like, this is what I have. What can I have? What can, what's the most I can get? Because I really want to screw them over. Just tell mm -hmm. me what's the most I can get, you know? Yeah. At least they would be making this decision on a factual premise rather than this emotional where you're getting promised stuff that you'll never get. And it only would make it worse for you to heal or to move forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that I want you to hurt more than you hurt me, you know, kind of a mentality. Yeah. Right, right. But if people would just have this knowledge, mm -hmm. then the dialogue in their head will change a little bit. Yeah, you can still be yeah. aggressive and go after the other side, but you can only go within this limitation because that's all you have, not what your friend had, as Karen said, or, you know, what somebody else told you that they got, because that's not what you're getting. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you have a different factual background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so true. And, you know, there are some people who say, well, I don't want to take them to the cleaners. I just want to make sure I can pay my bills or, um, you know, I just need to know if I can live on that much or not, you know, to Catherine's point, while I go, have to go get a job. But all of that can be known right out of the gate. And it just makes decision making so much easier. And it makes the stories that people could be telling themselves easier to reframe because they're not at, they're not in emotional jail, as I would say. And maybe the other, they would realize maybe the other person isn't the enemy. It's just the relationship that was created. So that's very, it's great. Yeah. And it's definitely, that is the enemy, right? It's the, it's the pattern. It's that relationship. It's the way that they're interacting. It's not typically this person or this person. It's, it's that, that's part in between them, right? It's that space in between the two of them that's causing the problem. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that space in between could be the space that you have with your children and your spouse, the space you have with your money and your spouse, and the space that you are creating around your own self by the Mm -hmm. stories that you're telling yourselves. So those are really three great things to keep thinking about as you're moving through this journey. Um, I love this. This is really very good, very helpful. This was a gold mine of yeah. information. Yeah, Kelsey's going to have so much fun pulling all these nuggets out. Thank you. So I'll be asking people, what's your, well, I do ask there, because I, I do believe there's an emotional value to a financial decision and to all the finances that you have, whether whatever they are, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, cash, or what have you, just your house, there's an emotional attachment by one side or the other to that. And we provide a space where that gets to be heard. It's not heard anywhere else that I know of other than the space that we provide. And it's so valuable. And now I'm seeing why, basically, because it's the stories that these people are telling themselves as they move through this. You know, I'm always going to be reframing that. What's the story you're telling yourself? Um, Because it's very easy for people to look at it like that. And then it becomes validating too, right? Because they're, they're recognizing that, oh, she understands that I'm like kind of what's going on here. And so it becomes validating and in a space where, you know, you're reacting so quickly instead of actually pausing to respond to something, it gives somebody a chance to, to be seen and to be heard and to, to get all of that yummy goodness they don't think that they're getting from their spouse. Right. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Sheila. This has been great. So you're in Hilton Head, but you do, I assume, virtual consultations as well? I do. So I am seeing clients in person, and I'm also seeing clients online, and I can see... I'm licensed in the state of South Carolina, so I can see anybody in the state of South Carolina online. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. What a valuable offering resource you are for so many people. Thank you. This has been great. And let's continue our conversations. And uh, we really, really enjoyed every minute today. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you so much.